and thanks for listening to the Adulting is Easy podcast. This is Lauren, and I manage the Adulting is Easy blog and podcast, which can be found at realadultingiseasy.com and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please take a second and hit the follow button wherever you're listening if you can safely do so. I'm joined today by Land Shark, a husband and father who recently retired from a career as a practicing lawyer in his early 40s. Through a high savings rate and disciplined practice of investing in low-cost index funds, the Landshark was able to eliminate his debts and achieve financial independence. He's documenting the ups and downs of early retirement on his Twitter account, which is at IamLandshark, and on his blog, Landshark.org. He likes long walks on the beach and the occasional surfer and doesn't take, <laughs> doesn't take himself too seriously and neither should you. Thanks for joining me, Landshark. Hey, hey, hey. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. I said I was going to get through your bio without cracking a smile, but I couldn't help it. (laughs) So our goal for today is to make adulting a bit easier for listeners by discussing a personal finance topic, since managing money is a big part of adulting. So today, you and I are going to talk about retiring early. I followed you on Twitter for a little while now and recently started reading your blogs, which I absolutely love. And the first question that came to mind as I was kind of preparing for this conversation was, did you set out to retire early? It sounds like it kind of maybe came about kind of organically. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, it was totally organic. I, I did not set out to retire early. I didn't have a master plan by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I think what I did was, was, was pretty similar to what a lot of people do. You know, I started saving in my 401k at work and in a Roth IRA, but I didn't really think much of it beyond that. You know, I was really busy building my career as a lawyer and, you know, I was young and retirement was something in the distance. And while certainly something that was good to save towards, I I didn't really give it much thought beyond that initial decision to save in a 401k or an IRA when I was in my 20s. But, you know, over time, I started maxing those accounts out and had some extra cash left over. And then I invested that extra cash in a taxable brokerage account. I also directed some of it towards our mortgage Eventually, we paid off that mortgage and took what we were paying towards our mortgage and directed it towards our taxable brokerage account. And that just really snowballed over time. And over the past few years, it really started to grow, especially with kind of the market on a tear. It got to the point where we were making more in our investment accounts on an annual basis than we were earning in our salaries. To answer your question, no, I I did not set out to retire early. We just saved for a traditional retirement and it just kind of sort of had happened. So at what point did you start thinking about early retirement then? You know, I I, I don't know if, I, if there was like a clear moment when I thought about like early, early retirement for the, for the first time, you know, in like the early 2010s, you know, I came across like a lot of people did like the, the fire movement and Mr. Money Mustache's blog and things like that. Um, I also had, had kids around the same time and, you know, it's kind of like late nights, you know, staying up with a baby, feeding them in, in, in the middle of the night where I was just kind of thinking about life and, and thinking about work and, and, you know, the idea of just kind of toiling away at a job for the next 30 to 40 years and missing my kids, you know, childhood didn't really seem that appealing. So um, I, I guess it was sometime like when, after my kids were born that, um, you know, I started thinking that there must be something else to this all that, uh, you know, maybe early retirement could be an option. So I don't have any super close friends that are lawyers. I mean, I know some here or there, so I don't really know. Is is this something that's prevalent in 
law? Do people talk about Because generally I think the salaries can be, or what you make can be pretty good. I know obviously like any, any profession it ranges, but are people talking about, Hey, we make pretty good money. I think I'm going to try to retire early. Uh, no, no, I mean, not at all. I mean, the, the, the lawyers that I've worked with and kind of experienced, um, I think the more common situation that you run into is, you know, people that are really suffering from, you know, hedonic ab- adaptation and they're spending just as fast as they're earning. So, you know, while they may be making a good living, they've got law school debt to pay down and that they've got expensive cars and expensive homes and vacation homes and nice clothes and jewelry and, you know, all the things, right. So, um, the idea of, of returning, uh, retiring early is, I think, pretty foreign to most lawyers. And, and I think that that's pretty uh, you know, prevalent. And you know, if you look at just kind of the fire blogs, the you know, fire Twitter space, there aren't many lawyers. There seems to be like a lot of uh, doctors. There's a lot of engineers. There's professionals of various different types. Um, you know, there are people that are doing side hustles and, and real estate. But I haven't really come across many lawyers that are involved in this space. Um, but maybe I just haven't come across the right ones. I mean, there 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 are a handful of them, but you know, the law tends to be a a, a career where a lot of people practice into their seventies and eighties, and a lot of gray hairs. Um, so I don't know, you know, maybe that's just kind of the way it is. But um, yeah, the fire movement definitely isn't as popular in the the legal community as it is in other spaces. So, at what point did you? think that you could retire earlier? Did you kind of start running numbers? I know you said it kind of started naturally saving, right? This idea, kind of this nebulous idea of in the future, I will need to retire and I know what a retirement account is and I'm going to contribute to it. So you went from that to maxing it, right? To then starting a taxable brokerage, to paying off your mortgage, to putting more in the taxable brokerage, right? Where in there did you start running numbers to see how much you needed? So a, a couple things happened. So I had been tracking our net worth for about a decade. Um, you know, I'm a huge advocate of tracking net worth. And I think, you know, getting into that habit of doing that on a monthly basis is probably like the single most important thing that really set us on the path towards financial independence, because it instilled discipline. And, you know, over time, it also provided us the motivation as we saw those numbers start to grow. Um but then, you know, over the past few years, when we started earning more from our investment accounts um, than we were from actual, you know, our wages from our nine to fives, it started. You know, I needed to do some some more math, um, and that really made me start questioning if it was worth like trading my time for additional money. You know, when my money was working harder and way more efficiently than I could. Um, of course, you know that that. It certainly helps when you're in a raging bull market, and that's not always the case. But that's where we were, kind of, you know, two, three years ago. Um, but I guess, like, even at that point, I started looking at the numbers, and I didn't really believe that I could retire. You know, I still considered myself young-ish. We've got young kids, and no one around me had ever early retired. So, you know, I started kind of looking for some help. And um, I don't know if you know Robert from Stop Ironing Shirts, but he did a, a detailed case study on the Landshark family's finances back in December of 2019. And I can give you the, the link to that and you can put it in the show notes. Um, and he came to the conclusion that we already had enough right then and there to retire, but I didn't believe him. <laughs> uh, so at that point, uh, what Robert did is he encouraged us to start tracking our spending. So, you know, while we had been tracking our net worth, I had never tracked our spending. So I started doing that in 2020, did it in 2021, and I'm still doing that today. And that really helped us tremendously. 
And so like, while I, I kept working through 2022, uh, 2020 and 2021, and, and I'm still working a little part-time now in 2022 and kept saving, kept investing. Ultimately, you know, our numbers got to the point where I really couldn't deny the math any longer. So, you know, I talked to Mrs. Landshark and talked to her about the idea of retiring from the practice of law. And we put that into motion at the end of last year. And so I gave my notice and shifted to a part-time role so I could finish up a couple cases. And my goal is to be completely done with the practice uh, by the fall of 2022. So cool. Yeah, I think I saw that. I think it's embedded in one of your blogs that spreadsheet. So I sent that to my husband today. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's all, that's all Robert. That's all Robert from Stop Ironing Shirts. He, he put together that um, withdrawal simulation and it, it just kind of blew my mind in terms of looking at the mechanics of, of how it works. But you still kind of didn't believe it though. Uh, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't believe in 2019 and I still needed to kind of pad on some additional money on top of it just to make sure. Um, I feel like there's a lot of people in the fire space that live this really frugal, lean fire existence. And, you know, for us, where we live here in Colorado, it's it's a pretty high uh, cost of living area. And knowing that I have got two kids to send to college and, and just the expenses that we have, um, you know, we're, we're looking at a more, I guess, fat fire type uh, existence in retirement. So, you know, I needed to have the padding in there to feel really comfortable about the numbers. And I wasn't there yet in 2019, but eventually once, you know, 2021 came around, I, I got to the point where I was like, yeah, uh, I think we could really make a bunch of mistakes and still be okay. So it was tracking your spending that really did it. I guess also you had then two more years of bull market, I guess, basically behind you. Yeah, I had, I had two years of, of bull market and I was also you know, a partner in a law firm working really hard and making a lot of money as a, as a partner. So that allowed us to just kind of, it was like pouring gasoline on a fire at that point. Um, you know, we, we had paid off our mortgage. So basically all our money was going into our investments and, you know, that coupled, like we, we had a bunch of cash sitting around in March of 2020 when the market just, you know, shit the bed. And, you know, so with COVID, everybody was freaking out and I just, plowed a bunch of money into the market at that point in time. Cause I was like, well, you know, I'm not retired yet, but maybe this is one of those once in a lifetime opportunities that, that, you know, if we don't invest during it, we're going to regret having not done so. So. Yeah. So can you, can we talk about your net worth and the breakdown of what your investments are? Maybe not tactically, but you know, how much do you have in brokerage versus 401ks and things like that? Yeah, so we're we're now at about four point nine million. Um, we've got a million dollars in our taxable account, about two and a half million in our retirement accounts, about a million in home equity, and then I'd say about four hundred thousand dollars in what I just call other, which is just cash, our, our HSA accounts, uh, bonds, um, equity in my law firm that I haven't been you know that I haven't received the payout on yet, but I, I will over time, and and the value of our cars. Gotcha. Okay. So that doing that math, that means you've basically got, it's about three and a half million in usable, what you're going to use, what your investments are, what you're going to use to live off of. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little more, maybe like 3.7, something like that. But Okay. Gotcha. And are you using any sort of classic 4% rule type idea? Like, did you take I know you said you're fat fire, so 
you know, that means above $100,000 a year, right? Did you take that and multiply it by 25 and know that's what you needed? Or was it truly the tactical simulation that got you there? Um, yeah, so we're not using the 4% rule. I mean, I have, I have those, I have 4%, 3.5%, 3% kind of modeled out in our spreadsheet just to kind of see what those numbers look like. And based on what we're contemplating, I think we're going to be below a 3% withdrawal rate um, at the end of the day. So, you know, did we, did we really use it? Uh, I guess we sort of used it, but, you know, I think what we, what we use more than anything else was knowing, you know, we're, we're projecting an annual spend of $120,000 starting in a couple of years. And the reason why we're doing that is because, you know, currently I'm still working and earning an income. My wife's still working for the next uh, two years. So we're not anticipating drawing into our as investment accounts or savings to, to pay for our expenses. Uh, but once that starts, we're assuming that we're going to spend about 120 grand a year, and then that's going to grow over time indexed for inflation. And who knows what inflation is going to be, but we're assuming 2% for now, just for the sake of, uh, of the math. Um, and, you know, we feel pretty comfortable about, about the way the numbers work. I mean, basically what we're going to do is we're going to spend our taxable account down first then our cash and our bonds. And then that probably will get us to age 59 and a half uh, before we will tap into our retirement accounts or our Roth and our traditional accounts. Um, but in the event that we don't have enough uh, in our taxable and, and cash accounts, uh, we could tap our HSA, we could you know, tap our Roth contributions to help kind of bridge that gap. And ultimately, if we need to go back to work and, and do a little uh, hustling for a couple of years just to, to pay some bills. We could, we could do that or we could always, you know, trim our expenses. So, you know, we're certainly, uh, not going to be spending a little amount of money here. So, you know, I'm sure there's some fat to trim from our budget. Right. And if you're talking about less than a 3% withdrawal rate, that should be incredibly safe. Uh, just for listeners, the 4% rule is based on a study, which basically said in the overwhelming amount of time, like upper 90% of time, you can take 4% from your portfolio in retirement and you will not run out of money. Usually the stock market returns more than 4%. So that's one great way uh, to know, right? But even in years where you're dipping and you're taking out 4% and the market is down or returning less than 4%, you still end up safely being able to retire. So if you are below a 3% rate like Landshark here is, then that's very, very safe. So I would imagine that is how that's going to go for you. Um, and then we're talking about retirement accounts. You can access them without penalty at 59 and a half. Roth IRAs, you can take your principal out at any time after you've had the account for five years. So that's something that you can kind of always access. The HSA that he mentioned is a health savings account. Those are um, a very interesting way to save for retirement. They're not, they're not technically a retirement account, but you don't pay taxes on it going in. You don't pay taxes on the gains and you don't pay taxes on the way out if they're used for qualified expenses. So they're often used for retirement. Okay, now back in. I just wanted to <laughs> break those down a little bit. So last year was 2021. And that's when you made the decision that you could retire because you had the simulation, you knew the math, you've been tracking your spending. And you knew basically that you also, it was going to take a little bit of time to wind that down because of the your current cases that you're working on and things like that. Was there any particular moment where you were like, I'm going to do it? I don't know if there really was like a, a, a moment. It was, it was more of kind of like an adjustment. Like for, 
for us, like we were really fortunate during, during COVID, like none of my family got sick. Like everybody has stayed healthy. And, you know, back in like March of 2020, you know, when all of a sudden I didn't have a commute anymore and I was home with the kids and just spending more time with, you know, I've got elementary school aged kids and they're, they're awesome. And, you know, they, they love to spend time with their parents and they still, you know, dig their dad. So, um, it was just like so much, so much fun. It was so pleasant to just be around them and be more present in their life. And like before that, I used to see him in the morning, but then I'd, you know, leave for work and, and head off on my commute and then get back at the end of the day. And, you know, sometimes I'd kind of miss the majority. I'd, I'd always miss the majority of their day, um, but I'd, I'd miss, you know, most of the time that I, I would actually have with them. So, you know, with COVID uh, and all of us kind of being in the house, uh, together, it was just really just like a wonderful opportunity to, to bond. And once the kids started going back to school, I was still working from home. I was able to, you know, walk with them to and from school every day and be more present in their lives, take them to their, you know, sporting events and activities. And, and it was just, it was just awesome. And I, I, I didn't want to give any of that up. So I had a really stressful 2020 and 2021 from just like a workload perspective. And you know, with the the market on doing what the market was doing and the numbers just kind of like looking just solid, uh, I started talking about it with with my wife because, you know, for me, like I never really loved being a lawyer. You know, I went to law school because I'd always been told that I'd be good at it and it was a good way to earn a good living. But, you know, I didn't have any lawyers in my family. I didn't have any friends who were lawyers. And I didn't really know what being a lawyer was all about until I graduated law school and started working as a lawyer. And I know that that's <laughs> pretty dumb, <laughs> but it's the truth. You're um, not alone, and, I'm sure. Yeah, no, I think a lot of lawyers are like similarly situated. Like they, they don't put much thought into the career decision, but they were you know, smart. They did well in school and they wanted to make a lot of money. So they, they became lawyers. And then after practicing a few years, they realized that they hate it. And, you know, if you look at the surveys, like lawyers are consistently ranked at the top in terms of career dissatisfaction. And it's one of the things that fuels lawyers like disproportionately high levels of substance abuse as well. So like the money is good, but often like lawyers have huge amounts of debt from their education and they succumb to the golden handcuffs and they feel trapped. Like fortunately, like we didn't inflate our, our, our lifestyle. We I paid off my student loans. So I was, I was positioned financially to get out at the right time. And, you know, the, on the flip side of that, like, I also like, while I think I was good at being a lawyer, I never really identified with the profession. Like a lot of people have their identities wrapped up in their profession and they just see themselves as doctors, as lawyers. For me, like I just, I looked at it as a job, you know, like I toughed it out, I made good money, but the law was always just a means to an end. You know, there was aspects of the job that I liked, uh, but it was not enough for me to keep practicing. So for me, you know, the trick was trying to figure out what the right time was and there never really is a right time in the practice of law. Cause like these cases are just kind of ongoing in 2020 and 2021. You know, in my line of work, like my job is basically to solve really difficult problems for my clients. And, you know, they've got huge problems with huge dollar amounts on the line. And, you know, I found myself that as I, I built my practice and had more responsibilities that I was really internalizing my clients' problems as if they were my own. And that stress was keeping me up at night. And, you know, coupled with the fact that like the practice of law, like forces you to just kind of grind on an hourly basis. You know, we trade our time for money. We bill our time. I just didn't have enough time to do the things I wanted to do. Uh, I didn't have enough time to spend, you know, quality time with my, with my wife and my kids. And I was emotionally drained, spent, you know, I needed to get out before the stress was going to kill me. So I just talked it over with my wife. She was supportive of me making this decision. She trusted the numbers and we just decided that we needed to, 
kind of rip the bandaid off and, and make a decision. So there wasn't really a pivotal, like identifiable moment where I decided, you know, enough was enough. I didn't have like a Jerry Maguire moment where I said, who's coming with me. I just, it was just kind of like the slow accumulation of stress over the years that was wearing me out and I was burnt out. You know, I still am. And that's actually like one of the things that I'm most looking forward to over the next like 12 to 18 months is just like resting and recharging because I haven't been able to do that for about two decades. Right. You painted a really amazing picture there. I feel like I can I can see what those days were like of being home and I can picture you walking your kids, you know, to and from the school bus and that being such a more enjoyable time than the time spent working on these cases. And you're thinking, how can I do more of that? Kids are only young once, right? Like, and, and they grow up really quickly. And it's easy for people to miss their childhoods because they're really busy, you know, trying to become a big shot, right? And they're they're working, trying to establish their careers. And and before they know it, like the, the kids are out, at, they've left the nest and, and you've missed the opportunity to kind of spend that, you know, pivotal time with them when they were young. I think about that a lot. Your 30s are often when you have your children, but it's often when your career is also heating up, right? right. So that's, it's just unfortunate that those things overlap like they do. Especially like in this day and age with like, we've got, most people have two working parents, right? Like we don't have a, a situation where there's like one stay at home parent and one working parent. Like it seems like this, in this day and age, like you, you need to have two working parents and the, the kids are in daycare and then they're in school and then you're, you're just kind of grinding away and to trying to make ends meet. It's, it's, it's difficult for a lot of people. And, you know, I, I, uh, I definitely empathize with, with those situations. You know, we're really fortunate that we were financially situated in a way that we could make this life choice and kind of walk away from a high salary uh, in order to, you know, focus our time on the things that we really valued. Yeah. Even you can retire early and it can still perfectly coincide with when your kid's like 18, you know, yeah. and that could still be retiring early. And then you're like, okay, I'm done, but now the kid's gone or whatever. So that's amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you. So 2021, tell me about putting in your notice. I'm just curious and I know, okay, we're all grown adults. Maybe we shouldn't care what people think and things like that. But I always kind of wonder when I, when I make this decision to retire in the next couple of years here, I, I kind of play these, I play these out in my head. How is my boss going to react? What are my family and friends going to think? Am I going to be missing part of my identity that I, maybe I do identify as a salesperson more than I thought I did. Right. So I'm just so curious about mostly at first how the conversation went at work and then kind of what family and friends are thinking about you now. Yeah. So I'm going to take it in reverse. All right. So like family was great, totally supportive. Like I was really, uh, and I, I have a blog post about this, about like telling my in-laws and making sure that, you know, they were going to be on board with this decision because, you know, once my wife was on board with it, you know, I wanted to make sure that my, I've got a great relationship with my in-laws and I wanted to make sure that they knew about this decision. They weren't going to be blindsided by it. And, and I didn't want them to think that I was just, you know, some deadbeat that wasn't going to be providing for their daughter and, and their grandkids. Um, but they were all totally supportive. You know, I think they knew firsthand how hard I was working and the toll that the stress was taken, um, on me, you know, mentally, physically, and emotionally. And I, I think that they also just you know, knew that I wasn't going to do anything reckless. So they trusted me and they knew that I was looking at the spreadsheets and that I had thought long and hard about how the numbers would work. So, you know, family was totally on board. 
Um, you know, my friends, I haven't really advertised it too much. You know, I'm still working part time and, you know, I haven't transitioned to a full time life of leisure, but I, I did tell two of my best friends and they were totally on board, so happy for me. And actually like spurred talking more about finances with them. You know, like I've I've got two best friends that I've I've been best friends with since we were in elementary school. And, you know, we we live across the country from each other now, um, all in different places, but uh, we're still really close. But, you know, one of the things in, in our friendship, like we never really talked about money that much. Uh, it just wasn't something that that came up. But as a result, it's this discussion uh, about early retirement. Now we're starting to talk about finances a little more, which has been, I think, a positive kind of development in our friendship. Um, but on my on my work uh, colleagues, you know, it was really mixed. And I, I, I had a, a Twitter thread about giving my notice and kind of the reactions that uh, that I got. Um, I got a lot of raised eyebrows when I announced my my notice that I was leaving the firm. I think people have a tendency to see things through the lens of their own lives. So when you walk away from a high paying, you know, prestigious career like a, a partner in, in a law firm, you know, people look at that decision and it's almost like you're casting judgment on them, on their life, career, and 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 choices. You know, so, so some of them told me that I was making a huge mistake. You know, there were others who who wished me you know luck, uh, but they were wondering uh, what else I had planned. Some thought that I was you know maybe going to another firm or to another job. And then there were like a handful of people who reached out after the fact, and you know they had heard about the fire movement. They had asked me if I had heard about the fire movement. Then we started talking about investing and you know kind of the questions about like what we're all working towards, you know, our values and life goals, and and those sorts of discussions were the best conversations. Uh, but they were they were really few and and far between. But you know more than anything else, you know I, I definitely I wanted to make sure that the decision that I was making when I was leaving the firm that I was doing in a professional way. Uh, you know, the reason why I'm still working part-time and on these, these cases is I didn't want to abandon the clients that I was still, you know, working for. Um, and I didn't want to say like, Hey, I'm retiring, go find a new lawyer. Uh, I know you're in the middle of this case, but you know, good luck to you. So I wanted to, to do the right thing and, and not, you know, leave them hanging. But more than anything else, what I've realized is that, you know, we're not as important to other people as we might think we are, you know, and I struggled with like how to do this professionally. So people don't think that I'm, uh, you know, doing something uh, that is you know unprofessional, but, you know, while announcing like your early retirement may be the headline of the day, you know, people do move on and they're too busy worrying about themselves to really dedicate that much thought to your situation. And ultimately we're all, we're all replaceable at work. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some people who were just like, wow, like this is, this is really something, but, um, you know, time passes and pretty soon you're, you're kind of out of sight, out of mind. That's interesting that it spurred at least a handful of conversations between your friends and then some former colleagues. I don't know if I would have anticipated that. Yeah. And, and it actually, it spurred some conversations with some colleagues that I didn't really have that close of a relationship with when I was working there. It was just, you know, people that I knew, obviously, but, uh, you know, I didn't work necessarily very closely with. And now I'm, I'm actually closer to them <laughs> having, you know, given my notice and, and retired from the partnership than I was when I was actually working at the firm. Well, yeah, now they know this like other side of you, I guess. And and I think they're also like, they're, well, they're, they're a little bit curious. Um, they're, they're wondering, you know, they, they obviously know that they respect that, like, I must have made some, some good decisions to be able to be in a, a position to do this. And I think that, you know, a lot of them are, you know, a lot of lawyers are dissatisfied with the practice of law and, and, you know, they're starting to think about, you know, 
did I make a mistake here? And, and, you know, was there some other career that I should have chosen? And, you know, they're trying to look for a path out of the practice. And so I think that now that I'm, I'm leaving, uh, they feel comfortable coming to me and, you know, being candid about their situation and just saying, look, I'm, I don't think I'm cut out for this either. And I would love to see if I could get out of this in five years. And so then we kind of just talk about it and just like, well, what do you have going on? Like, what's, what's your situation? Are you sending your kids to private school? Like you paying for their college? Like what's the deal? And, you know, there's, there's always, there's always an answer and there's always a solution. It's just a question of like, you know, what are the hard choices that you want to make to kind of get to, get to the point that you want to get to. That's really interesting and awesome. Good. Good for them. I'm glad that they are finally talking about it with someone who is actually going through the process of retiring early. So that that's, but, but, but then there were also the people who were like, I could never do this. Right. Like, and it was, it was, you know, they had the blinders on, they had, they already had like their defense kind of up and they're just like, that's great that you're, you're able to do this. I could never do this because of X, Y, and Z, right? Like they already had like their excuses. And I think like if they actually did the work and, and tried to, you know, kind of question some of those assumptions, they would find a way to, to, to make it happen, but they're not willing to. So, you know, everybody's different, you know, personal finance is personal and, and there's no right or wrong answer, but, you know, for the people who are looking to actually, you know, make a career choice or, 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 you know, do an early retirement, they're, there's always a, a way to do it. It's just a question of how and do you really want to? Is there any in law, do you think, focus on the sunk costs of the time you went to law school and the debt that you took on and the time that you've spent building a career and making partner? I mean, I don't know a lot about the law profession, but that's very hard to do. There are a lot of long hours that need to be worked to arrive at what is basically the pinnacle of a law career, right? Is, is making partner. Do you think there's some of, if they leave now, they're thinking maybe that was for nothing? Is there some some cost bias or something going on? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, law school and just you know, education in the United States is just ridiculous in terms of what it costs to actually you know get through college and then go to law school. And you know, I had I had some of my colleagues like I had scholarships through through college and most of the law school, so I had some law school debt, but I didn't have like crippling law school debt. But you know, I had, I have colleagues that and you know, they had three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars of of law school loans and and college loans. And, you know, that, that's a, that's a mortgage, right? Like that's a, a lot to, to dig out of, um, especially when, uh, you know, that's not the only thing that you're paying down and yeah, it is really difficult to, to kind of walk away. And, you know, I, there were times where I started questioning my decision of like, what am I thinking? Like walking away from a career where I'm making like really, really good money here. And, you know, at the tail end of my career, I was making like 400, $500,000 a year. And, you know, it's really easy to move the needle on your finances when you're, you're making that kind of money. And I think that like getting back to the, the discussion that I had with like Robert back in 2019, like, I think that was one of the, the things that I was struggling with was like that one more year syndrome where you're just like, well, you know, maybe I'll just work for like one more year. Maybe I'll work for one more year and, and continue to pile on for me, like ultimately like the, the math became like undeniable. Like I, I couldn't really dispute that the math was going to work. And like COVID was the the wake up call and just seeing my kids every day and realizing that like, they're not going to be young forever, that like the time was the the valuable thing that I wasn't willing to, 
to waste any longer. And I wasn't willing to trade that for any amount. Um, so I think a lot of people do have that kind of sunk cost, uh, opportunity cost way of looking at things and, and it's real, but ultimately, you know, once you get to the point where like you've, you've paid off the debt and you don't have that kind of like hanging around you, like a, like an albatross, uh, you, you can make that kind of like value uh, decision as to like, you know, what, what is truly valuable to you. And, you know, for me, it was time with my kids and while they're young, no amount of money that, that I'd be willing to trade for that time with them. Yeah. It's not worth the jewelry and the cars and things like that. Absolutely. So your wife was totally on board with this too. Have you guys talked about money kind of from the beginning openly just, and you've kind of always been on the same page? Yeah. Uh, I mean, when we, we've been together for like 20 years. Um, so we know each other really well. Um, you know, we, we dated before I was in law school and, and then got married afterwards. So she, we've, we've been together and have, have had combined finances uh, ever since we got married. And so it's always been a very open and transparent uh, partnership between the two of us. And, you know, she's contributing just like I'm contributing and, all of the, the debt is our collective debt and all of the assets are our collective assets. So, you know, we've been a hundred percent on, on this plan together. That's great. Nerd out about it a little more than she does. You know, like <laughs> she, you know, she, she kind of lets me handle the investments and handle the spreadsheets and handle all the, the decisions. But I, I consult with her before we make any, any decision, right? Like, um, Hey, should we pay off our mortgage? Like, okay. Like, let's, let's talk about that. And like, what are we going to use this money for? And, um, you know, she trusts me, but you know, I, I wouldn't make any sort of huge decision without her being a hundred percent on board. Yeah. That's, that's huge. And so now you're going to be retired before she is. That's right. Why? How did you guys make that decision? My husband and I are kind of in the same boat. I think I'm going to go before he does, but how did you make the decision that you and then her and not at the same time? So she has a job that she has always been hundred percent remote with her job. And she works for a small company that some of her friends from college started and she really likes the company and she's not really looking uh, for an out. She's not looking for that like exit. Um, so, you know, I don't think she, that she wants to work forever, but she's not, she doesn't mind her job. She actually likes it. She likes the people that she works for. And like, she could see like the, the stress of like the, the legal profession just kind of crushing down on me. So she's like, you need to get out before I need to get out. Um, so, uh, it was, you know, when we, when we started running the numbers, I said like, look, we could both retire at the same time. And she's like, well, I don't think I want to. And I said, that's totally fine. Like you don't need to, you don't need to at any point, like this is, that's your decision to make. And I'm not going to, you know, kind of force you to retire because, because I did, but I just wanted her to be. Uh, cool with the idea that I was no longer going to be bringing in the income that, you know, I had previously brought in. So you're going to be on her health insurance, I would think for two years. Uh, yep. I am now actually. And then what? Uh, we're just going to buy from the exchange. Okay. That's always a big question we get. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of like baked into our annual yep. spending. We're kind of assuming that, you know, somewhere between fifteen to twenty thousand dollars is going to have to go towards health insurance. Wow, people always ask that, especially you know, I do my uh, Wealth Wednesday spaces with a couple of Canadians, and uh, 
And I know we're, we're both friends with FI Squirrel. And, you know, that's a question that they always have for Americans. What are you going to do? Like, well, it's basically a financial planning question, right? I mean, you assume that you have to spend this amount. You assume it's going to grow by more than the price of inflation or the rate of inflation. And you basically go from there. Yeah, but those crazy Canucks, I mean, they have a strategic maple syrup reserve. So do. I don't know if they need to really be uh, you know, involved in these kinds of questions. They so do. Oh, my God. I know. That's so wild. I love Canada. I've learned so much about it since I've started hanging with these guys every week. So I just had one more question, and it was about kind of the dip that we had in the stock market. I know technically we're, you know, we're still down for the year, but not quite down like we were. And that's something that I think a lot of people think about, and at least I think about. What would happen if the year after I retire, there's a big dip in the market? And how I was just curious how you felt about it. And were there any financial plans that you had? Like, okay, well, I guess you're going to be working for two more years. So I guess my question is, what if that happens again when you really ha- are done with the income for two years? If we had what we just had in Q1 2022, but it was, you know, 2024 after your wife is done working, say. Yeah. So we, um, it's, it's interesting. So because I've been tracking our net worth for so long, like, you know, we do it on, on a monthly basis, but like periodically when the market goes like really crazy, I'll, I'll update our, our net worth kind of in real time uh, just to kind of test my, my metal and, and kind of see like how, how I'm going to react to certain things. So like, um, you know, I updated our net worth in, in January and then in mid January and then in you know, mid-March when there was, you know, these, these dips. And at one point we were down like $400,000, uh, for the year or like down 9%. Back in 2020, I think at one point we were down like Mm $700,000 during COVID, uh, like at the beginning of COVID when the entire world was freaking out, you know, at that point, like I was like a super aggressive buyer because I was like gainfully employed. And I was like, this is a, a buying opportunity of a lifetime. So I, I didn't, I didn't freak out at all, but I also wasn't planning on, on retiring when I, you know, when I gave my notice at the end of last year and then kind of transitioned into this, you know, different role at the firm at the beginning of this year, you know, it was, there are a bunch of different things that actually happened that have, um, made it a little more you know stressful. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, I'm still working in a part-time, I'm still bringing in some income. My wife still, working and bringing in income. So, you know, when the S and P like dipped to like 13%, um, this year, NASDAQ goes down 20%. We, we had a bunch of cash and we were buying right now. We're, we're actually up about 5% for the year, but that's largely because of, you know, we, we made some income we, we bought in our investments. Um, we also adjusted our home value in our, our net worth spreadsheet just because it was probably artificially down and real estate's been going, going crazy. But, you know, there are a lot of uncertainties, but I haven't really, uh, you know, felt too, um, kind of thrown by what the market has been doing. But, you know, again, like, I guess I'll have to talk about this in, in two years when we're actually starting to draw from our savings, but I think we have enough cushion that, uh, we'll be able to, you know, weather the storm, like our house is paid off. I think that that really helps knowing that, you know, you don't have that kind of like monthly, you know, cash flow uh, constraint that, you know, you need to send to the bank every single month to, to keep your house. So like, I know that if push comes to shove, we could always cut our expenses uh, pretty dramatically and, you know, still have a place to live. But, you know, I think, you know, generally speaking, we don't know 
what's going to happen. But there, you know, there's there's a lot of uncertainties, right? Like there's a, a war in Ukraine right now, and like who knows what Putin's going to do, and yeah. inflation's going crazy, and you know the market's been you know really volatile. But you know that's the that's the price of admission for you know the outsized gains that we've had over the past you know several years. One of the things that was you know really kind of a a wild card and and a, a curveball that we weren't anticipating that happened at the tail end of last year is that our community suffered from a catastrophic wildfire where there was a uh, 1100 homes that were burned over the course of like six hours and our house survived, but it suffered some smoke damage, but um, it's been you know, a really traumatic experience for, for our entire community. And it's one of those things where uh, it kind of puts things in perspective. Uh, so, you know, like I retired and I was anticipating that like, okay, I'm going to finish up these cases and then kind of move into a life of leisure. And then all of a sudden natural disaster hits and, you know, all of a sudden your priorities shift, but you know, life, life doesn't go according to plan. It's important to have an emergency fund. It's a, a important to, to plan for a rainy day. Um, but you know, the other side of it is that like, it's, it's also really important to just value the time that you got and take, and take nothing for granted because, you know, you never know what's going to happen in the future. And, you know, we can plan and like a lot of people in the fire space, you know, they're super planners and they're talking about like, this is what they're going to do in five years and 10 years and 20 years. And, you know, they're going to have like this massive, uh, uh, you know, net worth and enterprise if they're building the business and, and what have you. But, um, you know, life, life comes at you fast. And sometimes like it's, it's important that you shouldn't lose sight uh, of today while you're planning for tomorrow. And I think too many people, really live for tomorrow and they, they lose sight of the present. So. Yeah, that was very well said. And it was so heartbreaking to see your Twitter posts at that time. And it does put things in perspective. And, you know, for me living in Florida, we know it's only oh, a matter you know. of time. Yeah. yeah. It's only a matter of time until one of my three properties is, is leveled by a hurricane. It's just, yeah that's just how it is. And I've evacuated twice in my life and kissed my house goodbye. You know, one of them I, I just bought six months before and, and that's it. And you, you, you leave and you're, you, you decide you're never coming back. You're all of your stuff is going to be gone. And it does, it does put things in perspective. So let me ask you about that. So when like, so have you lived in, you're in Florida, right? Mm-hmm. So have you lived there your entire life? So has it has that always been something that is just kind of like in the back of everyone's mind down there that like there there are hurricanes that hit there are you know these severe weather events that hit and you never know when uh, the big ones coming. When I was a kid, kid, so Charlie was the first one that we evacuated for, and that was in two thousand four. We had like a wild two thousand and four. Um, you know, there was like Charlie, Jean, Francis, and Ivan. I think. I'd have to Google it. So feel free to fact check me guys. But I was a freshman in high school then. Before that, hurricanes were days off of school. You know, it was like the school is going to be closed. And my my parents' neighborhood was at about, I want to say maybe seven feet above sea level. And the neighborhood next to it that you had to drive through to get there was lower than that. So we knew we were not going to be able to drive in or out of the house, right? And I had friends on my street and uh, we lived on the water and the, the water would come up over the dock and it was like we would play on the dock with the dock at a foot of water. And it was like it wasn't a big deal at the time. Uh, there's really no question to me that storms have gotten worse. 
in 2004 was when I think everybody was really faced with, oh, we really might, we might lose our house at some point. And then over, you know, Katrina was after that. I think Katrina was in 05. And then there's been, um, you know, Michael and Irma and Maria and, you know, Laura and Sally recently. And every time we're holding our breath. Um, Irma was the second one that I uh, left for. That was when I left the house that I owned. And that was in 2017. So again, I guess I'm kind of rambling here too, but it's only been since I since I was 14 when we evacuated that first time that we really kind of have faced that it might happen. And it's only been the last couple of years where I've really faced that it, it probably, it's almost probably will happen to the Tampa Bay area or one of my properties is a little north of that. And it's a, it's a bummer, but I love living here. I am blessed enough in my finances that I can afford the increases in insurance that have occurred. And so I will continue to live here and we'll just continue to have a plan. So on this happy note, <laughs> is there anything you want to add for people? Maybe any advice, uh, cautionary tales, anything like that? I'm just a guy that is, is trying to figure things out for myself. So, you know, I don't have all the answers, but I guess my, my main thing is to just remind people that life is short and, you know, you don't want to waste it. And, you know, it's, it's easy to spend your time, you know, saving and investing and kind of paralyzed by fear of the unknown of, you know, what the future could hold. And then you're going to miss it, right? Like you're going to, you're going to waste your time, which is, you know, precious and an un, unrenewable resource um, waiting for a future that, you know, may or may not ever come. And, you know, if you really want to, make a change in your life, you should make that change and just grab the bull by the horns and, and do it and uh, not lose sight of, you know, what you really want to do with this life because we only got one shot at it and we shouldn't squander it. Very good. Excellent ending. Why don't you tell people how they can get in touch with you again? I know we did it up top, but yeah. So my, uh, probably the best way to reach me is on Twitter uh, at I am Landshark. Uh, at I am Landshark. Uh, I've got a Facebook uh, also at facebook.com slash I am Landshark, although I'm not really that active on Facebook. And then my website is landshark.org. And you can send me an email there uh, or just comment on one of the posts and I'll see it and look forward to uh, interacting. But Twitter is probably the best way I'm most active on Twitter. Okay. And I will put some of your blogs that I read and, and some that you mentioned, like the one about your in-laws in the notes as well for people. Cause they're cool. really, really good. Uh, you all can follow me on Twitter at adulting is easy. I'm also on Facebook. You can email me at real adulting is easy at gmail.com. You can show support at patreon.com slash adulting is easy. Also on my Twitter account, I have a link tree and I've started creating some free resources for short-term rental owners. Uh, so feel free to check those out. Don't forget, I mentioned it already, but we are currently doing Wealth Wednesday Twitter spaces at nine o'clock Eastern. Again, those are on Wednesdays. We've covered real estate, tokenized real estate, crypto, quitting your nine to five, increasing your income, and a lot more at this point. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hopefully, Landshark and I have made adulting a little easier for you.